Good evening and welcome. It is Roxy Zwicker from New England Curiosities. I am so glad to be sitting here underneath a thunderstorm warning. I have some fantastic ghost stories to share with you this evening. So I hope you're all settled in and ready perhaps for a rumble or two of thunder. We always seem to pick the perfect night for ghost storytelling. So I have the proverbial candle lit to guide our way through tonight's spooky tales. And if this is your very first time in joining us here, my name is Roxy Zwicker from New England Curiosities, and I have been telling ghost stories since 1994. And I've been running New England Curiosities here on the New Hampshire seacoast in a quaint old town called Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which is from 1623. And I am a firm believer in ghost ghouls and things that go bump in the night. I also believe in a lot of great New England history and folklore. You can always find me at Instagram at RoxyZW if you want to see pictures of the places that inspire me to look into our great New England ghostly tales. And I picked a very special theme for tonight's ghost storytelling. Considering that we are on the edge of Memorial Day weekend, I thought it'd be nice to take a little trip, perhaps, to the islands. We're going to go up tonight to the islands of Casco Bay. So I am very excited to share with you several stories from the islands of Casco Bay. Some a little scary, some a little disturbing, and some just downright creepy. So are you ready? Are you really ready to begin? So tonight, legends and ghost stories of the Casco Bay Islands. The Casco Bay Islands are romantic, mysterious, and they are steeped in all sorts of legends and lore. In fact, the native peoples called the bay a Cusco, which means the place of the heron. The Native American presence is recorded in many of the shell mounds that have been found along the shores of many of the islands. Now, the Casco Bay Islands were actually originally named the Calendar Islands by none other than explorer Captain John Smith back in the 17th century, as he thought that there was an island every single day of the year. Today, it is said that there are about 220 official islands in Casco Bay, and their unmatched beauty and peaceful ways have their very own special appeal to those who are looking for a getaway that's not too far away. I usually head out to the Casco Bay Islands at least a couple of times a year, and it is just a world away. Now, while not all of the islands can be visited by the casual sightseer, there are some that are open for hiking, for exploration, and 
just kind of a quiet little getaway. But it's always those quiet little getaways that seem to have so many stories lurking in the shadows. So ferries from Portland, Maine are the best way to begin your exploration of the islands. And it has been said that there have been upwards of 50 shipwrecks along those islands in Casco Bay. The Edward Lawrence burned at the docks in Portland Harbor back in December of 1925, and a fireboat and a tugboat attempted to drag the burning wreck out to sea. And when the fire burned down to the shackles holding the anchors, the Edward J. Lawrence fell to the bottom of the sea between Diamond Island and Fort Gorges. So the unique view of Portland and the main coast from these islands is absolutely unmatched, I think, and unforgettable, as are the stories of ghosts and specters and legends that surround them. We're going to start with one of the Casco Bay Islands called Cliff Island. And this is a gorgeous island with approximately 75 year-round residents. Now picture, if you will, a quiet island accented by sweeping ledges that overlook the Atlantic Ocean. There are a variety of 19th century summer cottages on the island as well. One of the island's claims to fame is that it was the location of the movie, The Whales of August, which was actually filmed back in 1986, starring Betty Davis. So that's a little something that you can look up in your infinite spare time and check out what it looked like back in the 1980s, perhaps even before some of your time. Cliff Island also has the fascinating tale of a hermit who was a reputed moon cusser. And part of the inspiration for tonight is the very full moon that we are experiencing. And I said to myself, where do I have a story of a moon cusser? So tonight is the full moon and lunar eclipse, and we're going to tell you about the moon cusser of Cliff Island. So where do the origins of the word moon cusser come from? Well, it's actually very interesting because it is said that the moon's rays sort of enhance the water surface. So kind of glimmering off the ocean, as it were. And sailors could see very, very well on moonlit nights, even when the moon was only partially full. Decoy lanterns would not fool experienced mariners underneath these circumstances. As such, when the moon cusser's deceptions did not succeed, well, they would often shout, cuss the moon into the moonlit night. So these deceptive moon cussers were really just trying to trick these ships into crashing on the island so they could plunder what they had. And on Cliff Island, we had a very interesting moon cusser who was known as Captain Keefe. Now, he was thought to be a smuggler and some even say a pirate. And he lived all alone on the island back in the day at one time. And during storms, he would fashion a sort of a, a lantern onto his horse's neck and ride back and forth across a narrow stretch of the island in hopes 
of luring those passing vessels to their doom on the treacherous reefs just off the island. Ships that were hoping for shelter from the storms became wrecked on the island without any escape. Oftentimes, the crew would fall victim to the combination of the perilous shoals and the unrelenting weather. Captain Keefe would make sure that there were no survivors and he would bury the bodies of the unfortunate sailors on a grassy knoll near a deep ravine. And this area became known as Keefe's Garden. So this burying ground of the dead was called Keefe's Garden. How very strange and macabre is that? And Keefe would then salvage the ship's cargo and any valuables that he could find, making for a very unique way of life. And after his mission was complete, he re returned right back to his log hut to await the next storm. Now, in case you're wondering where I found that story and some of the subsequent stories I'm going to tell you about the Casco Bay Islands, I spent many a day in the archive room at the Portland Public Library. So these stories are out there if you dig for them. Always pun intended. So Keefe's Garden of Bodies out there on Cliff Island. All right, so let's go from Cliff's Island over to Jewel Island. Jewel Island is composed of about 221 acres and lies right on the outer edge of Casco Bay. It was named after a man named George Jewell, who was the island's first occupant way back in 1636. A wonderful fishing port, the main harbor is actually called Cocktail Cove. And it's so named because of the pleasure boaters who still gather there for merrymaking in the summer months. Doesn't that sound like a place you want to go and visit? Cocktail Cove. You just kind of get this thought in your mind of everyone just cheering and toasting uh, over the sunsets over Casco Bay. And imagine what it was like after dark in Cocktail Cove and what it is like even today. So one of the many stories about Jewel Island is about a small schooner that wrecked back in 1846 and all six men on board perished. The bodies were recovered and buried on the island in an area that was just marked with field stones. No grave marker. And that is how we always lose people here in New England. Just simple stone markers. And of course, that graveyard was eventually forgotten and blended right in with the landscape of the island. And even today, it is rumored that that burial ground lies somewhere near the center of the island. Do you dare to go and try to find it on your own? Maybe after going to Cocktail Cove? Throughout the island, there are ruins of the military installation that was built there when the island was seized for the defense of Portland Harbor back during World War II. The remains of these abandoned structures really add to the fascination of exploring this island. There is also a 50-foot observation tower on the island that was constructed during the World War II occupation, which affords people 
amazing views across Casco Bay um, and all of Portland Harbor. You can really see so much from there. There are also caves and underground tunnels that are part of the very extensive complex of buildings out there. So in some cases, it's actually a little bit more that's going on below your feet than what you can see. And those are always the most intriguing places to me. Some people have even claimed over the years to hear mysterious voices coming from within the empty tunnels. So what do you think? Would you want to go explore those with a flashlight on a dark and stormy night? Would you want to see where those mysterious voices are coming from? Or perhaps it's just the echo of the sounds coming across the harbor. I'll leave it for you to decide. However, this same island also holds a great legend that concerns a pirate from Bermuda and, of course, buried treasure. It is said that the pirate and his crew buried an entire ship in an area on the southern end of the island known as Punchbowl Cove. And years later, the pirate and his crew returned back to the spot and excavated the entire ship and its cargo of treasure. Another well-known tale from the island features the well-known and notorious pirate, Captain Kidd. Now, if you took our Haunted Lighthouses of New England virtual tour, we talked a lot about Captain Kidd and how over the years, many people were trying to find his treasure and people were getting permits back in the 1920s and 1930s to dig on the islands just off the coast of Maine. So a lot of people are surprised to hear all of the tales of pirates that we have. But back to the story of uh, Captain Kidd. So he was born in Scotland back in 1645. And although his affair uh, with the sea began very early in his life, there really wasn't a whole lot known about him until around 1689. Um, his career as a pirate sent him all over the world. And he amassed quite a treasure over the years, including everything from gold bars to the finest jewels that he could find. And bounty was placed on his head, much like many other pirates who were notorious. And he was forced northward from the Caribbean islands. And the story goes on to say that he actually found his way to Falmouth Harbor, where he made a plan to bury some of his notorious treasure. Now, legend tells us that Captain Kidd was attracted to Jewel Island because of its sheltered cove. The island must have seemed like the absolutely perfect place for him to bury his treasure. He took a large copper kettle from the ship's galley, and according to the story, he filled it with the best plunder from the ship. So let your imagination run wild with what some of Captain Kidd's treasures might have been. And then the visual just kind of notation of him filling up this big cauldron and just getting ready to bury it. So he ended up sending most of his crew 
out to an inland spring to fill water buckets while he buried the treasure. So that way, the whereabouts would remain a secret. Captain Kidd commanded the remaining crew to dig a hole for the treasure. And when it was buried, it was said that he had them pull a large rock across and put it right over the top of where it was buried. Described as a flat rock, it really stood out as he knew that there was a difference between the rough jagged rocks that were there, but the treasure would be easily found by him underneath this flat rock. Before Captain Kidd departed the island, it was said that he actually carved an inverted compass on this rock pointing south instead of north. However, if you don't know the fate of Captain Kidd, let me share it with you. Captain Kidd was later convicted of murder. Um, he murdered a man named William Moore and he was sentenced to hang by the House of Commons in London, England. On May 23rd, see how timely these stories are? A little bit of planning. On May 23rd, 1701, Captain Kidd was taken to the feared execution docks to meet his fate. The first time that he was strung up, the hangman's rope broke and he had to be hung a second time. After he was cut down, it was said that he was laid in the tides to let the sea wash over him three times. He was then painted in tar, bound in chains, and put in a metal harness that kept his skeleton unbroken as his flesh rotted away, which was a practice that was known as, do you know what the practice was known as? Gibbeting. His body was then hanged at a point where it could be seen by those sailing in or out of the Thames River. And it was a warning to any would-be pirates. Although he was pressured before his death to reveal where his treasures were buried, Kidd only revealed a few locations, and most of his fortune was never recovered. Hmm. So what do you think? Should we go out to the island? Should we do a New England Curiosities field trip? Should we bring a metal detector and maybe a big shovel and see what we can find? Hmm. Right now, the sky outside has turned black. The wind is blowing, so anything could happen. So let's now turn our attention over to Bailey Island. Again, we're in the Casco Bay, and we are telling some fantastic ghostly tales as the lights flicker all around us. So Bailey Island was originally called Newichin. And a, it's really a Native um, American name for the place um, that, you know, sort of uh, was uh, sort of, um, you know, a place where the Native Americans would go in the springtime. So 
And keeping that in mind, the Europeans actually began settling in the area in the 1730s and 1740s. And the island is named for the first resident, who was Timothy Bailey. And he was a parish deacon who built a garrison to protect the early colonists from Native American attacks. And Bailey Island still feels to this day very much a world apart. And there is an area on Bailey's Island that is known as Land's End. And it's really um, the farthest out in Casco Bay that you can drive directly from the mainland. And it is said that during Prohibition, we love to talk about Prohibition, in the 1920s, the island was actually a cache to bootleggers who used the area to drop as a drop-off point for wooden cases filled with liquor. And there's lots of stories about bootlegging in Portland. Um, we'll have to save those for another night. There's some really good tales. So Bailey Island is a little bit bigger than some of the other islands in Casco Bay. And um, unlike most of the others, you can get to it by bridge. And the bridge that connects to the island is one of the only, oh, really one of a kind in the entire world. It's a cribstone bridge, and it's made out of slabs of granite, which is sort of set up in almost like this open lattice work um, sort of fashion, so that way the water can pass through. It's really quite, um, quite something to see. Again, it's very, very unique. Um, there's a little area, it's called Mackerel Cove, which is a beautiful picturesque spot that really is perfect to get some, uh, you know, great photographs late in the day, particularly when the sun is setting. And you'll see a lot of professional and amateur photographers uh, oftentimes out there with their tripods trying to catch a, a few pictures. Now it's a small island, um, just about two and a half miles long and barely about a half mile wide at its widest point with about 500 year-round residents, which is quite a lot compared to some of the other islands. The island, however, at one time was home to a most unusual resident. I hope you're ready for this. He was known as the uh, Akraza Man. And it was said that he had come up with this method of making coins out of the watery dew that was on the grass in the mornings. And he actually established a company for that purpose back in 1801. So the business, of course, failed because I don't, I've never met anybody that can make coins out of the water that appears on the grass in the morning. However, there were many naive people who were taken for a ride by him and had invested money in his business. And of course, you know, he managed to get as much money as he could and then took off with their money. And uh, there were no coins in the grass. So he had a, a pretty, pretty good scheme going there. Now, once again, we're gonna find stories of pirates out here. Um, pirates were said to have frequented this island, including at least one who left a whole sort of uh, cauldron of gold coins that were hidden in a hole 
that is in an area to that's known as the Cedar Ledges. And it said that during the 19th century, treasure seekers would dig on the beach, you know, trying to find these these long-told legends of, you know, coins and pirates and all of these mysterious things that have been buried. And some stories actually tell of men who would hear a clunking sound. So imagine they're shoveling and then they hear like this kind of thunking going on as they dug deeper into the ground. And they thought that they had actually found the treasure. It almost sounded as though they had dug and hit a treasure chest. So, you know, hours and days and, you know, weeks in some cases would go by and they would be constantly digging, you know, hoping that they could find something. And in most cases, it turned out to be nothing. And some of the locals actually started to say that maybe the reason why people weren't finding anything is because the spirits, the ghosts that were there were guarding the treasure, making sure that it would never be found. But here's a twist for you. However, in 1840, gold coins were found by a man who was digging on the island, and he brought them back to Massachusetts. Now, this was in 1840, and he sold them for $15,000. And I found this story in the Casco Bay Breeze, which is one of local newspapers. So maybe in that case, the spirits decided to finally allow the treasure to be discovered. Or maybe he was just digging in the right spot. I'll leave it for you to decide. Now let's move on over to Haskell Island. Now located just south of Harpswell Neck, which I love Harpswell. There's so many great stories in Harpswell. So you'll find Bailey's Island. Um, and then Haskell Island, just off of there, and it has sort of its own, you know, unique folklore and ghost stories as well. So there is another beautiful cove, and this is a perfect cove for fishermen. You'll find them um, in this little cove, and it's very, um, very interesting because there are uh, all sorts of stories about it. And two brothers actually lived on the cove and they operated a saltwater farm there. And the brothers were said to be very hardworking and very successful at business. Well, according to the story, one day a ship came to the island and some rats had gotten loose and they proceeded to be quite an annoyance to the Haskell brothers. And the rats were multiplying and getting into everything from the supplies to the grain to the fish. And they were really getting to be quite a menace. So these two brothers, you know, at, at the risk of, you know, having continued trouble with their business, they figured the best way to approach the problem was to sort of control, you know, these rats and, and try to get them off the island. So they brought two cats onto the island to take care of all of these rats. And the cats seemed to do the trick. However, bigger problems loomed ahead. The cats, as cats tend to do, they started to multiply. And there were no natural enemies for these cats on the island. And they became pretty bold themselves and almost more of a menace than the rats were. Um, they got really hungry and they were eating the chickens, the hens that they were keeping on the island. They were getting into all the catches of fish. 
And one of the brothers actually became quite ill during this time. So the other brother went to get him a doctor. And upon his return, again, according to the story that I researched, up in the library, in the archive room, in Portland, Maine, I'm trying to prepare you now because it's going to get a little bit grisly. So the brother comes back with the doctor. He left his sick brother there and he found that his brother was dead and that the cats were so hungry that the cats were nibbling on the brother. Now, whether you want to call that a tall tale, I'm just going to leave it for you to decide. I'm just telling you the story as I found it. So they decided, you know, at that point to, of course, the doctor and the brother to take the brother off of the island. And it is said that they buried the poor brother there who was being nibbled on by one of the cats. And it is said that there are still perhaps descendants of that original pair of cats that was brought out there to control the rats on the island. So I, uh, I hope I didn't turn your stomach too much with that one. So we'll now cross over to Great Chibag Island. And it has its share of strange legends and ghosts too. There is in fact a little known woodland path that is lined with pine trees that leads to a place that is known as the Haunted Cellar. Now this story about the cellar has been passed down from generation to generation on the island. And the legend tells of a woman named Mrs. George Leonard who often brought visitors into her kitchen and invited them to sit down in what were rumored to be the most comfortable chairs on the island. Mrs. Leonard claimed that the cellar was a real place with a real ghost and that the story had been handed down to her by her mother and her grandmother. And the story continues that a house that was originally built by the Weber family it was built over an old cellar hole. Well, one night, the Webbers heard a tap coming from inside the cellar door. And when they opened up the door, there was a man who was standing there in the dim light with blood running down his chest from a gash in his throat. Well, they slammed the door closed. And when the Webbers got enough courage to open the door again, they searched in vain for this very ghastly character and they couldn't find him anywhere. Now the cellar had no other door. So where could this character have gone if there was only one way in and one way out? It seemed to be a mystery. Now another islander, a man named Henry Bowen, said that his mother worked in the house above the haunted cellar and that she had heard dreadful noises coming from the basement on a very regular basis. And she described the sounds as, well, almost like someone was beating on the clapboards of the house with a wooden club. So can you imagine that? Well, one tale of the haunted cellar dates back to 1850. A woman known as Granny Hamilton spoke of a story that her great uncle, William Littlefield, had told her. She said her uncle saw men carrying chests across his field, 
not far from the haunted cellar. The men walked the chest down to the harbor towards a little cove near Rose's Point on the island. The mysterious men then loaded the chests into small boats and disappeared around the point. Great Uncle William ran out of his house and traced the men's tracks through the wet morning grass, back across the island, and directly to the haunted cellar. Hmm. The discovery of where that trail went intrigued Great Uncle William, and he decided to round up a group of island men to go and revisit the cellar. When the men arrived in the haunted cellar, they heard horses galloping wildly in their direction, coming right at them. The thundering sounds of the wild horses grew louder and louder, and yet the men never saw a single horse appear. Now, another tale spoke of a little girl who attempted to make her way back home across the island when a storm blew in. The girl had to run past the haunted cellar to get home, and as she ran by the cellar, she heard the wild horses coming for her. Fearing the horses more than the impending storm, the little girl cried uncontrollably, and when she found a nearby house, she pounded on the door until someone let her in. And it seemed as though no one could live in the house with the haunted cellar for very long as there were so many stories about strange things happening to people who attempted to make this place their home. Two families were both living in the house at the same time, and each thought the other family was moving out one night because of all of the loud banging coming from inside the house. The sounds that were coming from the house were as loud as someone moving furniture around and stacking up boxes against the walls between the rooms. And each family eventually ended up confronting one another, only to find that neither could explain the source of those very disturbing sounds. Now, next door to the house with the haunted cellar, there was a barn, and that was where they used to store hearse. One day, a local man was turning hay in the nearby field when he got a very ominous feeling from the barn. Well, the next thing was, the farmer said he heard this strange, loud fluttering coming from inside the barn, sort of like the, uh, the sound of hundreds of birds flapping their wings. Well, he put down his pitchfork to go and investigate. And when the farmer opened the door to the barn, he found nothing more than that old black funeral carriage occupying the barn. So the door was then closed, and the curious man went back to work in the fields. However, while he was working, he still could not take his eyes off of the barn. He was still distracted, when all of a sudden, the sound of hundreds of birds singing came from the barn. And the farmer was so startled that he ran home to tell his wife but he felt that what he experienced coming from the barn was an omen and that something bad was going to happen very soon. Well, sure enough, shortly after the farmer's experience, Nicey and Littlefield Long gave birth to her first baby. 
and Nicey died. The funeral carriage in the barn next to the haunted cellar was used in the ceremonies. Nathaniel Long, Nicey's husband, was so distraught over her death that he was seen standing on Rose's Point, the point of land that he owned, where he made the decision to leave the island. Now, soon after leaving the island, Nathaniel Long was lost at sea. And some of the locals say that before Nathaniel left the island, he had buried some of his money out on Rose's Point. Well, eventually the house that was above the haunted cellar was moved away. But guess what? Even with the house gone, the stories persisted. It is said that a man who claimed to be a descendant of the original family that lived in the house went to the cellar to see if he could dig up whatever treasure had been buried there. And the islanders watched the man and he actually became a little bit irritated by the crowd's presence. So one day while he was digging, the man was accosted by one of the islanders who actually jumped into the cellar hole with him. And the would-be treasure hunter told the islander that he would be cursed and that he would die a sudden and very violent death within a year and that they would have to break his back to put his body into a coffin. Well, everyone on the island was certain at this point that the man who was digging in the cellar hole had gone completely mad. He had to be crazy. Who makes a statement like that, that they're going to have to break your back to put you in a coffin? How ridiculous, right? Well, how ridiculous was this? Within a year, the man who had jumped into the hole had become deathly ill with typhoid. And guess what? He died during a convulsion and his body was all doubled up. And in order to fit the dead man into a coffin, guess what? His back had to be broken. So what have you to say to that? So... Casco Bay Islands. Very, very interesting stories from there. So I just got this amazing flash of lightning, just waiting to see if I hear any thunder. Um, pretty amazing. You never know. There it is. There's the thunder. Probably can't hear it, but it is thundering and it is pouring. Dark and stormy night. Do we know what we're doing here at Northern Curiosities or what? So um, it was my pleasure to share these stories with you this evening. A couple of things that I would like to leave you with before I head on out into the darkness this evening. That is that is not a sound machine. So I'll 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 try to stop if um if there's more thunder. There it is. <laughs> so um, 
Again, if you're not following me on Instagram, RoxyZW, please make sure that you're following this page on Facebook. So follow Nolan Curiosities on Facebook. Check out our events. And if you had a spooky time this evening, you can always pop a few coins into the Venmo, which is Roxy's Wicker. So as I mentioned, it's a dark and stormy night. It's my pleasure to be here. So until we meet again, this fabulous full moon, stormy evening. My chair is just rumbling ever so. I could just feel my chair shaking. Don't forget, I've got the cemetery that's right there too. Hopefully the thunder won't wake them up. All right, so until we meet again, dear friends, thank you so much for joining me. And as always, your Mystery Maven signing off, telling you to stay spooky. Good night.